Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast. Latinx voices at the intersection of politics, media, and pop culture. We are your hosts, Brenda Gonzalez and Melina Bobadilla, the, the Educated Perioneras. Together, we dish out comedic and critical interventions. And the occasional chanclazo. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> Hello, Tamarindo Podcast listeners. This is Brenda Gonzalez. No Melina this episode. Why? Because she is traveling. You've probably caught up on our social media. She is in New York promoting her awesome film and working on some work with that. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the film because I think you have an opportunity to check it out. If you are in L.A., check out Melina Bobadilla on Friday, August 17th for the showing of the film she starred in, We Know Where You Live. The story of a Mexican-American couple moving into a trendy, gentrifying L.A. neighborhood and receive a warm welcome from two hipsters who are not what they seem. It sounds really exciting, and I hope that you all get to check it out. The movie is showing uh, at the Holly Shorts Film Festival at the Chinese Theater in Hollywood, right there in Hollywood. Check it out and support the creator of our favorite hashtag, Educated Pelonera. And that's once again, Friday, August 17th, We Know Where You Live, a film by Honora Talbot. And I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but I know that Melina Bobadilla is pronounced that way. So go check out the film. It should be a lot of fun. Well, we didn't want to have you wait too, too long before you got to hear your favorite podcast, Tamarindo. So this is just a mini, mini episode. We know that um, we've gotten a lot of great new listeners and followers, and we just want to let you know that Tamarindo Podcast is a labor of love, and there's a lot of different projects that pulled Melina and I in various different directions and, and travel and life events. So it's been a while since we've gotten back on the mics, but we want to thank you for continuing to support this this podcast. You can donate on our website if it's to help us continue this great work. We definitely... Uh, enjoy doing it and I'll speak a little bit obviously to my, uh, my perspective because Melina's not here to join on this specific episode but life events <laughs> one thing that um, that's been pulling my energy away from the podcast has been that I am trying to buy a house with producer Jeff which many of you know is is my husband and of course this is in LA so this is extremely extremely difficult to do and I'm learning so much about the process and so that's been pulling me a little bit away from the podcast and this is something that I, I know and recognize is only something that we can explore because we've had the support of our family. We didn't have college debt, again, because of the support of our family. So this is why uh, L.A. buying is something that's even a possibility for us, or so we think. We're in the process and learning a whole lot. So that's been one thing that's keeping us busy. And I, I know you all probably followed up on our social media. I was at the Unidos U.S. conference, its 50th anniversary, doing some great work with that, which is where I spend most of my time at um, the community-based organization that I work at. And in fact, community-based organizations and nonprofits is something that I'm extremely passionate about. I think that they play an important role in advancing issues of equity. And I know that many of you have been impacted by nonprofits. Maybe you're like me, you work for one, or you contribute your time, talents, expertise. And here at Tamarindo, of course, with the Educated Pelionera vibe, we know it's always important to think critically and use discernment, even with quote-unquote community-based organizations. Believe me, there are certainly those that are questionable. But for today, I, in this special mini-episode, I'm really excited to introduce 
introduce you to my friend and mentor, Mari Riddle, who has over 25 years of executive leadership at nonprofits and has a wealth of knowledge that we can all tap into. I'll tell you a little bit more about Mari. Mari is executive director of Grand Performances, a wonderful resource that we have here in Los Angeles that I've been familiar with for many years. Um, coming here with my family, these are free community concerts that um, are accessible. They're in this heart of downtown LA. They bring great performances, global performances, and it's free. So I've been familiar with Grand Performance for a long time, and I was so excited when I learned about a year ago that Mari became the second executive director of Grand Performances. And what Grand Performance, this is their mission, they celebrate diversity and unite Los Angeles through free access to global performing arts. So Mari is a native of Texas, and she's the first Latina to head up Grand Performances. She's been associated with the organization as a performer, a patron, and now the executive director. Now, I've known Mari for many, many years. I used to uh, volunteer on her board when she was the executive director of Centro Latino for Literacy, this fantastic organization that teaches literacy to Spanish speakers that aren't able to read, and helps give them the right foundations for success, and once they become literate in Spanish, and I'll, and I'll tell you, so in some cases, these are folks that Spanish isn't even their first language, um, and they have those strong foundations to learn English. So it's a phenomenal organization. That's when I first got exposed to, to Mari's work and have worked with her in many different ways. I consider her a really, really good friend, and so she was happy to jump on the podcast and give us a little bit of insight of what it means to be a Latina executive director today. So that's who we've got on the show. Please continue to support Tamarindo, write us reviews, share the show with a friend. I do promise you we've got such great episodes in the works, but we also have got a lot of different things pulling us away as I shared. So thank you again and um, enjoy our interview with Mari. So I'm really excited to get to do this interview with a good friend of mine, Mari Riddle, who is the executive director of Grand Performances here in downtown Los Angeles. Yes. Mari, for folks that are listening in, what is Grand Performances? So Grand Performances is a hidden gem in all of Los Angeles. I start that because... Um, a lot of people don't know what we're about. They walk into our space. We're a nonprofit performing arts center without walls, if you imagine that. Right. We operate in the middle of a commercial plaza at 350 South Grand. So we're nestled in Cal Plaza, and we provide free performing arts of different mediums or different disciplines over a summer period, beginning of summer all the way through the end. Very cool. And you just approached you just approached one year of being the executive director. Yes, yes. And I had the my second executive director. I'm the second, yes. No. The founding executive director retired after twenty eight seasons. Wow. So looking back at the year that you just completed, um, what does it mean to be the executive director of of this hidden gem <laughs> that is multicultural, bringing great content 
to the folks that live in downtown, the people that work in downtown, and also to the community that can easily get here because of public transportation. What does that mean to you? That means trying to make this space a very welcoming environment for anybody that walks onto this plaza or has heard about us because they know the performers that are on stage, because they've heard about it through a friend, and often don't know what to expect. So what I want to do is to have everyone from the artist, from people who work here, from people who are volunteers here, from the audience member to have this amazing experience, which is a creation of community in a downtown plaza. Um, and I keep telling people there are no walls here. We have no barriers here. Art transcends any kind of barrier that we can put between ourselves. And in a lot of ways, just is that unifying piece. And to have it in a downtown venue is also quite exciting. We're bra practically breaking down the skyscraper walls. Right. <laughs> you know, because people look at skyscrapers, they look at that, they think, oh my goodness, I have to wear a suit. I got to be in high heels. I have to... And that's not what we're about. Some people loved coming here, getting dressed up. Other people come in shorts. You know, it is, please come, enjoy what's on the stage, and get to know people. Very cool. And my personal connection to grand performances is I actually grew up in Orange County, mm -hmm. but my parents would, we would hike all the way up out to LA. <laughs> and so there was quite a few performances that I got to see oh, growing nice. up. Oh, nice. It's great. And it was just so accessible to get to by train and the mm -hmm. metro. And mm -hmm. and it's been really great as, as a downtown resident to get to see projected on the wall when there's a grand performance. Yes. It's actually projected. And, and if you're walking around downtown, you'll see, oh, there's a show coming on. Let exactly. me walk by. And let see me walk by. Mm -hmm. But let's let's let our listeners know a little bit about you, Mari, the person. And I've had the pleasure of working with you over the course of several years in various capacities. You've been the executive director of a Latino literacy organization. You've also been a nonprofit capacity builder. We've um, worked together through my day job, which is at Unidos US working with uh, an affiliate organizations, nonprofits led by Latino leaders impacting the Latino community. So we've definitely worked in that regard. Tell the folks, how did you get into nonprofits? This has definitely been your career. So how did you get into that field? Well, it's, it's interesting. And I think it started when I was in um, undergraduate school. And um, I ended up, I've always been a volunteer. I've always worked in community um, ever since when with my mom, you know, who was really active in church and we would do all this stuff. So it's in me anyway. Um, I went to the East Coast um, in, in my undergraduate years and um, didn't have a lot of Spanish speaking around me. Um, and lo and behold, the largest two Latino uh, Spanish speaking communities were uh, the Dominican community and the Colombian community. So I would go off the hill and volunteer, either doing ESL or doing a lot of different things with um, those residents of those different communities. And I just felt like it was home. So I always knew that I would have a vested interest in working with the Latino community no matter where and almost always with immigrant communities. It was also a way for me to hold on to my Spanish um, because it's my first
first language and it's something I identify with a lot. So as it turns out, um, I ended up becoming a musician and performing and doing all Latin American music, again, because it helped, it helped me get through the four years that I was in the East Coast. And I started performing and it was a wonderful way of connecting with people, wonderful way of showing my culture, of really, um, you know, exposing people to a lot of different um, music traditions and things like that. And I came across, and I came cross country to the to to Los Angeles on tour, and I fell in love with L.A. and I thought this is where I want to be. So 1980, I told my dad I'd only be here six months, and it's so many years later, and this is my home. Um, so when I looked at where I wanted to do, what I wanted to do, I really came um, on tour, and everything was like. I want to continue to do music. What can I do to help support me doing music? So I went to urban planning. I went to graduate school because I thought that way I could go to school, gig in the summers, gig in the weekends. I mean, literally, when people say, why did you do urban planning? I looked at the curriculum and I thought, I can do this, you know. So I got my master's in urban planning and I went to UCLA. And that school really teaches you to sort of be an advocate for change. I mean, the whole philosophy was being a change agent. And since then, I thought, this is where my heart's... I, I'm not the corporate person. I really want to work in community, and I want to be able to use my Spanish and my culture and everything that I do creatively to help bridge um, any kind of misunderstanding or gaps or help people just create a much better understanding between each other. Very cool. Now, I one of the things that I really admire about you, Mari, is that your your leadership comes with mucho cariño. Exactly. Mucho cariño. <laughs> Gracias. And, and also, I, the, you pepper in the Spanish in such a beautiful way that you make everyone feel very welcome. And um, I'd love for folks that maybe like me have been working in nonprofit. I think there's a lot of audience members that are that probably are in the same field. We have a variety of listeners, so I'm sure a lot of the a lot of listeners come to us for different things. But today sure. we're focusing on the nonprofit part. I want to have folks know from you, you like what is your leadership style, and how do you how does that how does your background inform that, and how has that resulted for you? Well, I think. Um First of all, I own who I am and where I come from. And so uh, a lot of times I just tell people, my whole background comes into the room with me. I mean, I, um, I'm very comfortable in my skin. And um, I don't apologize for the fact that Spanish is my first language. You know, I do pepper everything with Spanish. I mean, I am very um, cariñosa, you know, very different. I'm not, you know, so I'm very, I'm a very warm person, which a lot of times disarms people, which is really good. Oftentimes you have to be careful because, you know, you have to be very um cognizant of space uh, issues. Sometimes people may feel, hey, you're getting too much in my space. <laughs> but for the most part, I'm someone that people see as approachable. And that's helped me quite a bit. Um, I also will... It's interesting. When you come from different cultures, you have a different way of seeing things. There's Some of us have come from cultures that are much more communal in their focus. So their whole perspective is working on consensus, consensus building. You don't necessarily go to a workshop to do that or learn about that. It is just something that's built in. You build consensus, and I am a consensus builder. It takes you longer to get where you need to go 
But what I have found is whenever you want to push something, um, it will backfire often unless you really do the homework and do the work to get deeper into discussions with people. And that requires patience, requires a lot of listening, and really standing your ground when people are telling you this is taking too long. Um, when I applied for this job and I was I went through a pretty grueling interview process, one day it was like five hours straight wow. of interviewing. Um, one of the things I told the board and the search committee was that my process would be one of listening, of reflecting, of really talking to people to try to understand what how this works and not make any rapid change, but look at what's needed to complement what's already here. And, um, and that's just the way I work. Um, so they knew coming in that it wasn't going to be something radical, but it was going to be methodical. <laughs> Some people have expressed an anxiousness to move forward, and I just keep standing my ground and saying, you need to take the time, especially if you're someone like me, and this is the second time I've stepped into a nonprofit who has been... Um, who, I'm the first outside hire to a nonprofit, Centro Latino for Literacy. I was the first outside hire. There are ways that nonprofit work. There are, you know, informal practices that have sort of, um, you know, stepped in, and people just do it by osmosis. That when the the challenge is to try to put together some formal practices and systems in place, and that requires. Um, patience right on everybody's part you know and it's like it's this sort of um, the assumption people assume that you know what you're talking about and acronyms are flying all over the place (laughs) so you have to be conscious of that and be inclusive Um, and even if that's my inclusivity and constantly asking I'm sorry what do you mean by that what do you mean by that (laughs) And not being afraid, right? Not being not afraid, being to afraid. Ask those questions. Not if you're in yeah. a leadership position. Exactly. Saying, you know well, because <laughs> I know be because confused. then you make mistakes, right. you know, yeah. and those are you have to, um, you know, go back. So it's always important to just take the time, even though you feel an immense amount of pressure. I think that's the one thing when you're when you're working in nonprofits, you're you're there because you're fulfilling a need. You're there because you're fulfilling a service that you know. There's a gap, right? And the supply of demand, the supply and demand has not filled. So you're stepping in to fill this huge vacuum. Um, And how do you pace yourself so that you don't really lose hope and lose, um, because you're, you're, you're really being a touch point for a lot of people. And that's important to have. Very important work, and I appreciate you telling us a little bit of your insight and your journey. Um, before we wrap up, though, I, I want to look back to your specific role right now as being a, a Latina heading an organization that's a multicultural organization, bringing the arts to a multicultural community that is Latino. How has, um, I'm sure, and like you said, you bring your whole self to work. How has the many labels and dimensions and um, of who you are, how do you bring that to, to where you are right now and apply that to this very challenging task of, of um, bringing community together when they're coming from various different demographics, income mm-hmm. levels, industries, locations in LA? 
Um, again, being yourself, I think that um, oftentimes I will come, I, I, in my capacity, I end up introducing the performers and speaking from stage. And, um, and so in... <clears throat> Uh, oftentimes when we do have an artist that is coming from Mexico or a different uh, Latin American country or speaking Spanish, or I know there will be a lot of Spanish in the audience, I will start with Spanish from the from the stage and then I will speak English and then if we have other, we had a Pakistani um, a whole Pakistani uh, program and so the question was how do I get those um, names correct and oftentimes that's where I fail so I keep asking people to please excuse my um, the way that I pronounce names, I'm sorry you know, but, but then it gives us a chance to banter on stage and say, now how do you say that? You know, because we present Muslims, we present um, uh, just a lot of different um, Africans, just people with a number of different names that often, you know, you can't pronounce or I fail to pronounce correctly. So people see that I'm vulnerable and that I'm, you know, just uh, willing to learn. Um, I think that the, the most wonderful thing I heard was um, when I did speak Spanish and I afterwards um, a number of people from the audience came and just said it feels so nice to see someone speak our language from an audience from the stage and I've been coming here for years and to have that flow so naturally is really great um, but as I was saying before we started, it's important to have a sensitivity so that all cultures are represented. And here at Grand Performances, what we're really trying to do is to, in a sense, integrate audience members so that we're trying to encourage as much as possible for like the Latino audience to come explore other music forms, other um, uh, theater theater pieces that come from different parts. We had native native community of Canada, three different tribes that came and performed with um, a hoop dancer from New Mexico. That just happened on Friday. Well, the thing is, is that these are first peoples, right? So their first peoples and their nations were here way, way before many of us were here. And so the question is that they've bonded across the Americas. And so how, how do we not do the same? You know? Um, and I think it's just being inviting to people and letting them know that we will represent your community because this is what we do. LA is based on, a, it's a global city and we need to be responsive to all. Very cool. So I'm myself, but at the same time, I realize I have a responsibility to a much broader Los Angeles. Very cool. And now, um, just before we wrap up, the other thing that we like to do at Tamarindo, we always ask our, our guests the same a c couple of questions. Okay. So first, we'll start with, um, this is a fun one. It's, if you had a chancla, and of course, this is virtual, <laughs> or not real, this is imaginary, you can even add things to your chancla, and you could throw it at a person, place, yes. or thing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> could be a concept even. Thank you. What would get your chancla? Or who? Nombre, the wall. <laughs> but the, 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 the wall. Yes. But the concept of the wall. I was raised in a border. So I've seen the wall. I, there's been a wall at my hometown from, you know, years ago already, about 15 years. It's been there. So, um, but it is this concept of this thing that divides us. But that's the walls that we set up ourselves, as well as the physical barrier. That would be the chancla. It's just go through it and you'll see it like visually go, yeah, just you know. Yeah, shatter. I love it. That one. And then to to counter that negative energy that, but that, that, that well-deserved, we need to send that negative energy to that wall um what would make your what makes your heart beady beady bumbo 
What makes your heart Selena. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, I I have to say it's just so I played for years in a in a group that focused a lot on on strong vocal blends and harmonies and everything. But when I see art or performance come together and hit this. Um, this sort of, you know you've hit it when you're hitting this incredible space where it all blends together just beautifully. And it's just, I I get emotional. I have been to performances here, grand performances, where I just start crying because it's just so beautiful. And um, it just moves you. It gets you to another level. So last night we had um, Supernova, which was a quartet, a string quartet of um, a viola, two cellos, um, two violins and a cello. And they played a suite for Los Angeles, which is a piece that they composed and premiered at the at grand performances. One of them was on Topanga Canyon, and because he was raised in Topanga Canyon, and you could hear the wind and all of this. And the other one played, uh, the cellist played one for downtown LA. And he had mission and church and grittiness, and you could hear all of these different downtown LA in the music. And they'd come and swell together and then just, you know, dissipate. Beautiful. And it was just amazing because artists have a way of taking you on journeys. And when you can do that in a free setting in, you know, where you don't have to pay a ticket um, and be taken with them, it's it's a beautiful thing. Very cool. So I know you're wrapping up your season. Yes. And you also have a an event coming up. We sure so do. We should plug it while we have the you audience have it, listening. Brenda. Tell us about the event. So on Saturday, October 6th, we're doing a fall fundraiser. And it's, um, again, for those who have been to Grand Performances, one of the key things that people love about it is that you can enjoy great, great art in, in a very comfortable setting. So we're not doing a gala this time. We're doing more communal tables. We really want people to, you know, interact and meet each other. We're going to have uh, performers that are actually going to be walking in among the crowd, an a cappella singing group. Um, we're having uh, one of this the amazing uh, performer who will be performing in the water as part of his program. Um, so there's a little splattering of everything. Um, the, the, um, the, it, it's really about coming together for the fall run, fundraiser. We have some great exciting things we'd like to share with um, people that are there about what's coming next year. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll um, wait until you get there to let you know. Yes, okay. <laughs> well, and what was the date again? It's Saturday, October 6th, and um, you can go to our uh, website, grandperformances.org. On the support tab, you'll see a fundraiser piece. Very cool. We'll put that in the show notes. Thank and you. Thank you so much, Mari. Thank for you, Brenda, for, for asking me. Tamarindo Podcast is Melina Bobadilla and Brenda Gonzalez. It is produced by Jeff DeVoe, a.k.a. Producer Jeff, who provides original music and sound engineering. Please write us a review on Apple Podcasts and share the episode with the hashtag SupportBrownPodcast. Find us on all your favorite social media platforms and get in touch at TamarindoPodcast.com.
cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI, FPEI, 220099